Welcome back to The Pipe, the practical youth pastor. I'm your host, Chris Holland, along with my co-host, Steve Johnson. Steve, welcome back, man. Hey, Chris. How's good. life? Fantastic. Actually, genuinely fantastic. I would just say that. It's a good season. Yeah. Kids are healthy. Everybody's good. Yeah. How about you? Kids are healthy. Everybody's good. Man. Genuine connection. I like it. God is good. I've got sin in my life. <laughs> he loves me. Yeah. Anyway, I don't understand that. I don't think I ever will. Not the uh, side of heaven. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Kyle is not with us, our beloved God producer. God bless him. And, uh, Podcasting is a grind, you know? I didn't know that he would be here for just the one episode, but I, boy, did we have some memories sometimes. <laughs> oh, I remember that one time when uh, he didn't have the volume up and I pushed the button and you just awkwardly heard the last part of... It was a really beautiful interaction. It was a, a good interchange. Yeah. I think you guys have a real chemistry for buttons. We really do. And that one time you both went for the same button. And, and then we bumped hand, heads. It la- your hands landed on each other's hands. Yeah. It's like a meat cube. Other. It was really nice. Um, so, yeah, in this series on administration, uh, last time we talked about volunteers, how to find volunteers, and just some helpful tips on on doing that. And uh, this time we're going to be talking about staff. Volunteers are volunteers, not paid. The staff are paid. But with volunteers, are there a couple other things you wanted to talk about with volunteers, like other things? Yeah. I feel like we left some stuff on the table last time. It was know? like holding in the sneeze, you know? I just felt like, got to get it out. Yeah. Well, no, just quickly on that. And we can touch a little bit more on this uh, later on when we talk about communicating with parents. But I will say... Getting parents to recognize um, that they really are the best equipped uh, leaders available, um, not just in their kids' lives, but in, in the lives of these other kids as, as commuting members, right, of, of the church. Um, in, some, in some areas, maybe more affluent areas, and this is what I ran into, parents had this idea that, you know, we've got a a landscaper and we've got a pool guy and we've got a youth guy and we pay these people to do for me what I want done. Yeah. Not and by the way, not in a pushy way in a, it's being taken care of way, a classy consumerism. Correct. Way, in the same way that they would never wade in to the three foot end with that net and, yeah. you know, get that murky set of soggy <laughs> leaves out. They're also not thinking that they need to stay when they would rather probably just drop their kids off and go to, I don't know, AJ's and, and, and talk with friends. And again, that's not a dereliction of their duty. It's just they never it never even occurred to them. So that's one area is, is talking to parents and, and maybe taking the Socratic effort, and uh, um, the Socratic method rather, and asking some questions. Does that speak to like the culture? Yeah. Is that a generally a cult? I think because in the South, I mean, that, that churches that function that way, generally that's a part of their culture. Sure. And I, I think it, it is systemic in the sense that if the church recognizes and we'll touch on this when we get into staff you know we're paying to have this taken care of that's a, a hard issue that has to be addressed but a lot of times uh, it can also be people that aren't necessarily just saying well, we're used to paying people to do things it could also be maybe they have an experience in their past where some copious amounts of red tape were put up and they tried to get involved and they were kind of stiff-armed mm-hmm. and so they just they're waiting to be invited so anyway looking at that different angles that's something we can touch on at another time as well the last thing I was going to say, though, is you had mentioned that lady who was just uh, a super leader. You said that, you know, she was discipling 18 girls. I remember when I was in seventh grade uh, for, for YMCA basketball, uh, our coach didn't show up. And so you had several parents and all the kids were down there shooting lamps or whatever. And the re- as it set in on, on everyone that the coach wasn't coming, 
one of the dads is like, well, I mean, I can put him through some drills at least until we get a coach. Next thing you know, um, he'd, he'd been coaching for 20 years. Huh. And it took, because again, in his eye, he didn't, he couldn't do it. Oh, I could never, I don't check the boxes. But, but be, when given the opportunity, when called on to stand in the gap, he did it. And it revealed a gifting that he didn't even recognize in himself. So I only say that to say it's not a situation where either you've got what that lady has or you don't. Sometimes people have it. And like any gift, it has to be pointed out and then encouraged along and then grown as they grow. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like Nehemiah, right? I mean, I don't want to go to a super theological place here. But like where Jerusalem's walls were falling, temple was down and God raised up. By the necessity, the need, yep. God raised up Nehemiah somehow and led him in uh, back in Jerusalem to rebuild the wall and the temple. And if this was the kind of podcast that did this, we could say, who are the sand ballots in your life <laughs> when it comes to defending the walls of your family? Oh, but Sam. I do want to transition us into what I know uh, you had mentioned we wanted to talk about, and that's the idea of paid staff. Paid staff. How many do you feel like you've had in your life? I would say that you've hired you directly. Yeah, hired. I'd say eight to ten, because when I was at, I uh, had oversight of the seven ministries from children's to uh, to men's, everything but women's. You kind of needed a point person, and kind of the culture of the church I was at was that well, the expectation is that you pay for that. Yeah, and so I would say not tons. I don't have any now at my current church. Um, I think I am that guy as a part-timer. I, I am the, the extra guy that they threw there. How about you? How many How many have you hired in your day? Did you include interns? No, it was all paid. Intern, well, it, interns would only be another five or ten, so at most 18. But your interns were paid? Um, I want to say yes, but not all of them. Like, for instance, our college ministry, I don't believe our interns were paid. And they were, and, and we did a unique thing. They were sophomores. So it was like, these are the students who can. In, sophomores have, in high school? In college, in, in college, college yeah. yeah. Yeah, we said not to go to the sophomores in high schools for the college ministry. I was about to so say. That'd be weird. <laughs> no, but like. Role you know, reversal. They're going to be down at the student union. And so th- they can get on the Instagram and say, hey, we're going to have a little study session. Like ways that would be really weird for me in my 30s to just be like, hey, I'm going to go hang out like the weird professor. Only I don't know anything when it comes to your classes. But I, I'm pretty sure most of them have been paid. Has that been the experience with you? Yeah, I mean, you have volunteer. You're always, I, th- I think, in a good youth minister is always replacing himself. Mm-hmm. And um, I think John, our pastor, I mean, he worked for RUF. He was vice president of RUF for a really long time. So finding talent and calling and ministry and stuff was a big deal. And I think he was. He said something that was, I think, really important. Uh, about college ministers, I think you can translate to youth ministry too, that the best RUF, Reformed University Fellowship College ministers were guys and girls that just loved their college experience. Yeah. And so I think that can that can be true. There's a certain joy youth. that they exude. Like I loved my youth experience growing up. Um, well, you were the sassy little atheist. Oh, I definitely Who was. doesn't like being the bad guy in the room? <laughs> yeah. um, the womanizers <laughs> really... But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just loved my high school and college experience. I, I mean, it, it was just fun for me, and I enjoyed that, and it was very impactful in my life. And um, So finding staff, I, I think, l- goes around the same lines. When you're looking for somebody, Did you are you finding somebody that was just ridiculed through high school? <laughs> right. And has these bottled up 
angst against high school and the whole idea of it, they may not be the best staff person or even volunteer for that matter. Um, but finding people that are truly being called into the ministry, like Nehemiah was being called into it. Here we go again. I'm sorry. Versus people that are just trying to fill a position till they get through seminary to just take on a ch- an adult ministry of their own in their own church. Not to say that that's a bad scenario and some churches have to do that, but if you really have ultimate control um, or you're, you're able to, you have the luxury of being picky, more picky in that, and you have a, a larger spread of people that can apply for your position, your staff position, I would move towards those people. Yeah. I think that's wise. I think a lot of times people, you know, mentioned interns, a lot of times it's people who've kind of earned the right to take that position. Yeah, those are the best. I mean, because then you kind of already know them, and they're so grateful all of a sudden being paid that it's like whatever you're paying them is loads more than it would have been to somebody else who just applied externally. Mm-hmm. But uh, I will say that when I first came over to one church, um, the whole staff had left for another church. I mean, the whole youth and and college staff had just had taken off down the road. And so um, we needed to kind of quickly put together uh, a structure. In fact, I, I was the junior high and would-be college guy, and I had gotten wind like the day before that our high school guy was going to put in his notice and go join everybody down the hill. And I, and I remember thinking we've got one shot to lay out a structure that I really think we should go with my friend um, and later uh, I guess replacement in, in some ways Keegan he and I uh, took a, a napkin and wrote out what a structure could look like and it was basically me as the only full-time guy and then a part-time person over high school part-time over junior high part-time over college and then a part-time who would be the worship leader and so that's that's important because you needed somebody that was familiar with high school and, and knew how to put together a lesson. Um, Keegan was going to take one of those spots. I think at that time he took the junior high. Um, anyway, when the when the the guy the high school director put in his notice and all the elders looked shocked, we immediately had this other place you know this plan in place. And I think that it was partially just the raw emotion of that being kind of a a shark of a salesperson. We took that shot, that and they, sense, they yeah. were really happy that problem and solution were, like, mm-hmm. on coinciding pieces of paper. Uh, but what happened at that point was this understanding that we had people that we had to really, really trust, but it was largely to stop the onslaught of people leaving. I think that if you bring on um, a, a staff member to a culture that's already established, I think it's a whole different challenge. Because for me, it was, can you perform these tasks? Are you cool to just grind with us on this pioneering effort and we'll figure it out as we go? Whereas if you have an existing ministry and you're looking, maybe um, your job title has changed or the ministry has grown in such a way um, that you're bringing somebody else on, they don't just have to be a good fit with you. They really do have to be a good fit with the students. And Mm -hmm. to be honest, I've never gone through that. Have you? I mean, it sounds like you kind of have with Lindsay. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's always hard. I mean, it's hard coming to a new location anyway. It's mm-hmm. hard coming to a new, loca- new location and then quickly restaffing. Right, which is what I think you and I both had to do. And Yeah, we did. And um, at my last church, I was there for maybe a year or two before I, I um, we had to add a female counterpart, mm-hmm. Phoebe, who was amazing. She was awesome. And um, 
and she was the first person I ever hired mm. in, in youth ministry. And she worked out really, really well. And she was with us for around four years before we sent her to seminary. And she wanted to go into missions. Um, and I think, it, you know, in that piece of the puzzle, forming a really good search committee that is uh, unbiased, but uh, by and large towards the individuals you're interviewing, but they're very biased in that they really are all about youth ministry. They love right. the kids. Right. And they understand the kids to the degree that they can understand when they interview someone that the kids are not going to like that person or they're just going to love that person. And so having people uh, that are going to do that is going to be really, really important. In the same way, just if you have, um, if you're in a church that youth ministry that has a youth ministry team mm-hmm. of parents and maybe leaders, people that really care about youth ministry, having a maybe a subset of them that are very critically minded but kind. Okay. A subset of them that are just, they're going to love anybody that you put in front of them. They're just encouragers. Right. And then people that just know everybody and have tons of resources and maybe a history in ministry that they can speak into it with wisdom. Yeah. And having a group of people that really are going to think through this with you so that when you go to your session or your elders or your deacons or whoever or your pastor, whoever that uh, that person is, you have to bring them to f- the final approval. It's not just you speaking; it's your team. It's your it's it's a group of people that have really thought deeply about this and done their due diligence on this individual. I think that's paid off huge with Phoebe and Tina, who was after her, and then Lindsay, as far as my girls, girls youth assistant, mm-hmm. or whatever we're going to call her. Ultimately, um, it's been it's paid off huge. And then those people are actually the cheerleaders that want her to succeed the most too. So. They're always the people you can call if you're if she is having a hard time in this new community, this new town, or this new position. You can call one of them and be like, "Hey, why don't you have her over for dinner or something?" You yeah, know? no, I I think I, boy, I wish somebody would have told me the importance of making sure that somebody fits from all those different angles. Yeah, because a lot of times I found myself finding somebody who either I really liked or somebody I liked really liked. Like they were recommending, "Steve, you got to go with this person." Yeah. And I think I had my eyes open to sometimes how how a, a great fit to me wasn't a real great fit based on the level of coaching I had to to oh, yeah. give that person prior to their interview. Because we had a little season here where everybody had to interview before the finance committee until finally they're like, what? look, either we trust Steve or we don't. We don't need to interview the... The finance the committee. F- <laughs> uh, no, it's true. They did. And so... Would they I, pull the credit of the individual that you're you're interviewing? To yeah. Well... <laughs> This is this is your church, man. I'm surprised there isn't <laughs> still a finance committee. But basically, yeah, John did a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, because the idea was is you bring this, you know, this young life guy who played guitar and was you knew was going to be a big deal eventually, but wasn't at this point, and get him, you know, shirt and tie, and you'd you'd parade him around like <laughs> three of the seventy year old elders, yeah. and then you'd be like, so say this, so say this, and I realized I'm having a if I really believe that this person was a good fit, I probably wouldn't have to put this much spackle and paint on him. And it wasn't any fault of the young kid. It was just like, I felt like I need you to fake who you are, not morally, but just as far as how you carry yourself. We're going to cram you through this culture. And then when you land in my kingdom where nobody ever goes, you'll be fine. And I wasn't wrong. But now I wish, like you said, that it was a situation where we had brought in more than just the handful of us who were doing ministry together, get some outside people to, to also kind of vet that person. Yeah, and it helps if they are elders' wives or elders themselves. Absolutely. Because then they go to bat for you. Correct. And, yeah, down the road I did plug that in because that's just too darn pragmatic to not do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
But, you know, so let me ask you this. Let's say you do bring in uh, a paid person. What is, what can somebody do to protect the mindset of the volunteers? Now, if this was a podcast that had video, I would be doing air quotes because the reality is you're not volunteering if you're answering the Lord's call to obey. If this is where you're serving God, a volunteer sounds like I could or I couldn't. It's up to me. You can't hold me accountable, which is honestly why I think people have hired staff. It's like, well, we can control these people because there's a paycheck. I remember one time. I've said that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and I remember the most fantastic Street Fighter II Haruken moment I ever witnessed was in the kitchen and this this ominous malevolent character who controlled people told my men's ministry intern well you have to do this because we pay you and my men's ministry intern respectfully said oh if this is about the money well then just you don't have to pay me anymore and it was honestly <laughs> like the jaw drop from like you know Looney Tunes cartoon. It was amazing. Yes. It was an Animaniacs moment there. And I thought, man, that's true. You, if if the paycheck is what is going to be a means of controlling somebody, then you probably don't have the culture you really ought to have. And then what happens is if you haven't done a good job of presenting the why this person needs to come on semi-vocationally or vocationally, <laughs> yeah. then your volunteers really are going to take a volunteer status. I'm like, let them do it. Yeah, I'll come to what I want to come to. Like, I, I feel for people that go through that. I think we all have because it puts just a terrible strain on your organization. Yeah. Why is my contribution not worthy of compensation? But this guy who's new and doesn't do it as well as I do, why are they, why are they worthy? That's so true. I, 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 I think, too, it's like compensation is one of these things. It, it, is, it is compensation is... Uh, it, at least in ministry, you are investing in God's mission by paying a pastor to be there. You're investing in God's call and mission to do that so that that pastor is free from, as the Bible says, the worry of the world, from right. those things, from those burdens, so that they're freed up to do what God has called them to do. And so in that sense, like compensation is equipping your pastors to do the work that they're called to do. Which I think many people hearing this will think, sure, I totally see the biblical precedent for that with Paul and, and, and Timothy for the pastors. But what about the staff that you're bringing on? Yeah. Because they tend, unless your church has a culture that really embraces the idea of, you know, every member, a minister or every person on staff, also a minister, then you have this weird, they're other than a pastor. So again, why yeah. are we paying them to run dodgeball when I'm sure I'm a little flaky and I can't come all the time, but I could also <laughs> run dodgeball. What, what would be your advice for people as far as yeah. setting the table for that? I mean, I, I that do. mischief. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think in, in order to make money, you got to spend money. Okay. Can we just stay on topic here for a second, Chris? <laughs> so buy, sell, buy, sell. He did the Johnny Manziel fingers. Um, it was very crass. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, you know, I mean, I think, it's just unrealistic to expect, in, at least in America, you know, it's a fairly wealthy society and a fairly wealthy country. Uh, it's unrealistic to assume that things that need to be done well will just automatically take care of themselves via volunteer manpower without someone who has a vested interest in that ministry or that activity. See, Generally, that just does not happen. And I agree, but, but that is... Something can be both an American problem and a church problem. 
simultaneously, oh, not I agree. necessarily totally linked. Agree. You're right. Because it is a church problem. It is. I think what happens is you get the insecurity of the full-time pastor who feels like I need to be doing everything to justify my position. Right. And so because of that, the kind of hand-wringing approach that they take to recruiting volunteers comes across. It comes across as something where you look at and you think, okay, am I really offering a service here? Is this something that I can be doing? And if I'm going to pay somebody, I have to really make a solid yeah. justification. And then it becomes this whole thing like at Christmas time where you buy a kid, one of your kids this, well, you got to get the other kid this, and you have to balance the equation. Right. And then what happens is is you look at this and you're like, well, if we paid one person, we have to pay everybody. And next thing you know, you have a staff-driven bloated payroll. Or you're just in Joel Osteen's church and you put a dollar with tears on it. And That's true. And multiply. He really, man, he really is a good shepherd. But I'm not going to hold myself to his standard. I don't think you should. That's unwise. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think in, in staffing, uh, there are churches that are volunteer churches. A lot of church plants are volunteer churches. They survive, live, and die based on volunteers, moving chairs, setting up, cooking food, um, all of the, and tons of things, child care, sharing the load. And then you have a pastor there who biblically is worthy of dual honor, double honor, mm -hmm. right? That's ordained by God in one sense, in a different sense than a deacon would be ordained to the office of deacon, Right, and then an elder, ruling elder slash teaching elder, um, same qualifications, different roles, sure, um, and responsibilities. But well, it, but I, then you have directors who are unordained directors, as it says on my business card. Um, right, which by the way, that's such a PCA only <laughs> it's thing. Very PCA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it really is high church language. Because I remember sitting in some of these these like meet and greet lunches with, and this goofball across the way from me as a pastor, and I'm not a pastor. Now I happen to be a true churchman, and I do believe <laughs> that there has to be some kind of process, right. some ordination, some formal education, just like with a doctor or an attorney. I'm not saying that I have a problem with it, or that I think that the wild west, hey, you're on payroll, you're a pastor thing, is is right, but it's definitely prevalent. Well, so so, and uh, would you say? Would your advice to the young church that has not yet begun to pay their volunteers <laughs> yeah, yeah. stay that way as long as you possibly can? Um, it's really a mixed bag. I mean, I think in one sense, yeah, I would say stay if you can innocent stay and pure. Volunteer. Mm -hmm. I just think the reality of sin within churches, in particular in America, right? The sin within churches. Um, of consumerism, materialism, like that really has permeated within the DNA of the of the local church. Sure. And so if the larger you get, let's say God does provide the increase and you truly do grow numerically via conversion, uh, via people moving to your town or proselyting from other churches, um, which is very common. But um, as you grow, your ministries will grow, the load will grow, and a pastor can only go to so many bedsides and so many times. Oh, um, absolutely. So and, in, in that sense, yes. And I, I and I think that you make a solid point if you continue to change lanes like that. You're making an excellent case for a pastor. But what about <laughs> pastor adjacent? Like yeah. at what point, like for instance, for a youth ministry, at what point does a youth pastor probably, just like a, across the table, 
need to start planning to bring somebody else on. Like let's let's even take the girls director out of it. Meaning mm-hmm. like it's not like okay, I'm a I'm a, a male and we got a lot of female students. Let's say you've got that right. in place from the beginning, two yeah. of you. At what point is it a number? Is it something else cool that we don't even know about? At what point do you need to start thinking I need to bring on a paid staff? And you're saying this is just a youth pastor. A pastor Correct. says, we got tons of youth around here. Definitely saying it's a youth yeah. pastor. not uh, And not based off of projected growth either. Right, right, right. Like actual numbers. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, I've got a couple different ideas about that. I think number one is if your pastor and your elders, your church leadership's vision and calling in a particular town has a large margin of that is ministering to youth mm-hmm. that exists within your church and your elders and your pastor do not have the capa- capacity uh, to take that on, it does make natural sense. It does make natural sense to go and find someone that will genuinely take that role on. Um, but by the the pure, just practical element of it or uh, side of this dynamic is that it takes a lot of time to minister. It takes a lot of time to invest in people. It takes a whole lot of time. Um, we've talked some about, like, what's the role of parents in youth ministry? Well, they have primary, supreme, like, primary role of youth pastor in the family should not be you or I. Correct. It should be parents. They it, should be ministering, discipling, mentoring, taking their kids as you go, right? You're taking your children, Deuteronomy 6. So you're, you're really, as you go, you're doing this. Um, but see, how do you coincide that, recognizing that charge, with the program-driven model. Well, that you, I mean, I can throw out a bunch of stuff that a bunch of people that may listen to this podcast through the years, I mean, your Youth for Christ model really started that. I mean, your mm-hmm. transition. It, I think it even goes even further back with Jonathan Edwards mm-hmm. when he noticed that kids were bundling. Do you, have you ever heard of that? Uh, um, no. Okay, bundling is really interesting. So what they would do is, in, back in Jonathan's 1700s, they, you would have one kid over here on this side of the bed or the floor and mm-hmm. a kid on another side, and they would put a board, a piece of wood between them except for where their head was. I like this. And they would, they would like, talk. Oh, I love this. And sometimes they would throw a blanket over it because they're on the floor. It was cold, and so it was like being in bed together. And Jonathan Edwards was like, we can't be having this. Yeah. And so he oh, began racy. a series of preaching. And so oh. in that sense, you had, like, prayer meetings actually came out of that. You had uh, tons of historical benchmarks and things that actually came out of this one little scenario. And youth ministry, it, it formed this little archetype of, or prototype, I guess you could say, of youth ministry. We should ought to begin to minister to kids. I mean, D.L. Moody uh, taking kids on Sunday to the bars and the local saloons to do Sunday school. That's a <laughs> form of youth ministry that historically that he had a call in ministry, saw a need. Mm-hmm. and that the parents weren't filling. So he filled that need of training the kids because biblical literacy was ridiculously low. So he, where do you take people? Where's a, where's a clean room on a Stinkin Sunday morning? The a, saloon. A bar or brothel. So he would, <laughs> I doubt he took them to a brothel. They're yeah. never closed. We all got it passed. So, it's, it's, so he took them there. I mean, I, so I think as the need arises, if you think about it, was Nehemiah, Oh my go gosh, back. seriously, was, pick another Old Testament was character. He, was he ordained? No. Well, yes, yes, in the sense was he, was, he? he was called of God and he answered that call. Okay, so so that's bang, one. Bang, <laughs> boom. 
Exactly. So in one sense, yes. I mean, can you be ordained informally? Mm-hmm. It, and there's a separate office that is formally, yes. Was Nehemiah compensated? No. Yes, he was. Around, to, in today's term, $500,000 of which he gave back well. to the people, which is what most presidents do now just to save face. Sure. Because they make that money in book deals and whatnot. Most or only one ever. But yeah, okay. <laughs> so I see. I, so I he see was compensated. He was unord- informally ordained to see, governor. See, but here's, I feel like you're doing a little bit of a shell game here. Because first you quote sinners in the hands of an angry youth pastor. <laughs> and then we start talking about Bible studies and, and bars. And now we're talking about how Nehemiah wasn't compensated. Well, I'm just giving I, a different perspective. I understand yeah. it. We will table our discussion on, on program-driven ministry. <laughs> that was such a lazy way for you to try and just confuse me. Um, I'm no, sorry. I, I know I recognize I recognize what you're saying here. And I think I think that um, that's a philosophical conversation that the churches do need to have. But for those that do need to bring somebody on, um, there is there is a lot of thought that needs to go into it. Obviously, prayer for discernment is critical. Yeah. Um, but also looking at that person and and uh, kind of like how you talked about protecting Lindsay's time when she first came here, recognizing that just because someone is a paid staff member um, doesn't mean that they don't need you to swing elbows for them. Um, e- even if just for the purposes of modeling how they themselves need to protect their time. Amen. Yeah, and one of the things that I think is good is you're hiring, sta- like you're trying to hire people that once they are hired, you as a their leader and pastor, boss, you are constantly trying to untie their hands to do yeah. the ministry that they were called to do. Right. That means you are going to those meetings and advocating for them. You are looking at their life, and when they are not dr- – they're get catching Ubers to work on a regular basis because they can't afford a car. You're going to bat for them with the diaconate and trying to get yes. help from them or other people. See, I, I love – and that's valuable, recognizing that you're – paying them is only the beginning of what that relationship looks like as far as meeting their needs. It, Within the church. It's, it's correct. It's yeah. it, it's not the fullness of it. And I think sometimes people are like, well, figure out your own problems. And uh, yeah. in reality, you're right. There's there's an awful lot that you have to do to be a, an advocate, uh, whether it's your volunteers or your your vocational help. Yeah, and even with interns, like so we hired uh, a group of interns this last summer. We're going to hire more this next summer. And one of the questions, one of them said, so uh, – what do I do about food when I'm there? And I'm like, you take money that mm-hmm. you have in your debit card and you yeah. go buy it. You have a voluntary transaction <laughs> with Taco Bell. Like, just go. It's yeah. your life, man. And, and when they find out that you and Pastor John go to Fleming's on the reg, <laughs> do you just tell them to eat cake? <laughs> Let them eat cake. Let them eat cake. Um, that's exactly what we do. Exactly. That's, that's awesome. We have a tab at Fleming's. Well, I and mean, for those that don't know, Fleming's is... Very high end steakhouse. Yeah, and I'm very sarcastic. I've never gone to Fleming's in a day in my life with that man. Well, bivocationals like myself can't do it. I think you probably <laughs> could swing it a couple of times. Just tell an elder yeah. that you're having some marital problems and you'll meet him at Fleming's. Yeah, I, but but seriously though, I do that think. Was serious. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when uh, when we hit <laughs> ten subscribers, oh. <laughs> we're going to Fleming's, Fleming's to celebrate. We are. We're gonna get soda. <laughs> so um, and bread. Soda and bread. But uh, and that's thirty three dollars. Each person. <laughs> you but, have been there. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I, but I, I really would say that even though this person is being, a, a, they're being adopted and compensated in your family, compensated to be in your family, boundaries in that is really important. You can't oh, yeah. do everything for that person. They have to grow up. And especially in youth ministry, you're probably going to be hiring young people in their 20s. Mm-hmm. 
um, if you're having like assistant directors or interns, especially, you're not going to be hiring any 40 year interns. It's really strange and weird, but like, it is one of those things you have to give them space. You've got to let them grow up. Uh, one of the things that we do every Monday morning is we get, I get with Lindsay and with Kyle who's an intern uh, on staff and paid. And, um, the first question we ask or I ask of them is how are you, how are you doing? And it's kind of a counseling time. We all go around, how are you? It may be a time like this week has been hard. My in-laws have COVID or or something, someone died, or I'm really grieving moving. I'm really sad and lonely. And that's very common when you hire somebody from out of state or sure. a different location. And so I think that's really, as a youth pastor, I think um, that's that's really vital. Because so many, and we've talked about this before, so many people are looking and care so much more about the program than they do the people. Absolutely. That they will look at a staff person, just like you said with that individual earlier, and say, uh, I don't pay you to be sad on uh, our yeah, time. Exactly. We're paying you to be happy and full of the spirit. And, and that objectification happens when you're not even looking, you know, in the same way that yeah. if you... Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but you're right. Though, and 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 I'm sure that a lot of people have experiences either having received that or witnessed it. Yeah, and it's I think it's a lingering fear for a lot of people is I can't be who I am because I'm being paid to be a server here. You know, I'm not part of this wedding. I'm a server. And you're like, no, 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 quite the opposite. Yeah, servant of servants. Well, I think that's a very good moral to our story today, Chris. I think so too. Yeah. Uh, last on on this staff piece. Mm-hmm. Um, what are resources you've found that's good to search or use? You mean like a churchstaffing.com? Or like a church. Have you ever used a program like that? I've never, not one time, used anything that external. Usually what it comes down to is is I'd call buddies that are in ministry and say, hey, it's almost like a team that has three point guards. You know, They love all three of them, but they can't play all three of them. Yeah. Could I have one of them? And so a lot of times... It, it comes from guys that maybe they've got some students who just have excellent skills in leadership, but because they came up through that youth group, it's the whole idea of a prophet's never accepted in his hometown. Yeah. I think that was from the book of Nehemiah. Um, and then that's you, heretical. You get, you get an opportunity. <laughs> you get an opportunity to be that, that second experience for them. Yeah. So I've done that multiple times. Or even like their, their big break to some into exactly. their break into youth ministry. Yeah. Yep. And when, when, uh, when I worked for a church that could pay everybody more, it was we were just waiting for Nathan the prophet to come and tell a story about a man that stole the <laughs> one lamb because we stole a lot of one lambs. Oh, really? I repent of it. I'm not proud of it, but yeah, you get, you do what you got to do. Yeah, there's a lot of Hittites running around here. So what I found a lot of a really good success in, I, in, in addition to what you're saying, I think that's the number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I, I re- what we've done is we've gone to the seminaries we trust that produce really good. Uh, pastors mm-hmm. or church workers, and um, they generally have like a uh, find a job uh, connector, like yes. a job locator. And if you call their admissions and say, we're looking for this, this, and this, do you have anybody that fits that profile? If not, can I send you the job description and my contact information? Right. And will you connect them to me? So I've gotten tons of resumes through the years. Probably the most successful thing, though, is going to a ministry called RYM, Reformed Youth Ministries. Mm-hmm. And talking to their crew over there, Michael Hall, I think, is in charge of it right now. Um, but uh, he's somebody he talks to youth pastors all the time 
um, especially in the South where I like to farm from. Yeah. Um, staff. Um, but they're a great ministry. We're going to talk more, and Michael will probably be on this podcast at some point. But uh, Michael C. Hall from Dexter. That's exactly right. That's he awesome. became a Christian. That's you know what? Even serial killers can be saved. Mm. Amen. Amen. So there's tons of resources out there. You can do that. I wouldn't recommend going onto Craigslist resume section and doing yeah, that. Yeah, or Tinder. Tinder's probably a no go. Tinder's a tough one. Yeah. So But yeah, it no, it's true. I think I think just knowing your network, knowing your resources and not being too quick to just throw a warm body in there. It's Don't really do that. Pretty critical. Isn't that how we got Saul? It is how we got Saul. The set of shoulders on that guy, so tall. And lastly, you know, Nehemiah. Oh, okay. was <laughs> somebody's somebody's devotional is uh, really playing out today. <laughs> I just love that guy. No, we just finished our series in Nehemiah. And I, Ezra. Can, I can tell. It's like the guy that's watching a show, and all he does is reference that show. <laughs> you really ought to watch this show. I hope by next week you've looked at something outside of that book. <laughs> Let's hear some jokes. Let's talk about Ruth next yeah. time or something. That's what our new Sunday School series is. Well, we'll help prep you for it. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for joining the pipe. See you back next time. <laughs>